Hello everyone, Justin Vakula here. You're listening to the Stoic Philosophy Podcast, practical wisdom for everyday life. Today's episode features special guest Dave Guiri, who will talk with me about parallels between Stoic philosophy and Dungeons and Dragons, lessons we can learn from gaming, benefits of social interaction, and the value of worthwhile entertainment. Visit my website at justinvacula.com, where you can find links to my social media portals and see past content on SoundCloud, YouTube, iTunes, or Stitcher. Support my work by becoming a monthly supporter on Patreon or by making a PayPal donation. See the donate tab on my website. Share, comment, like, subscribe, and leave a review. I really appreciate your support and feedback, which helps me grow my audience and keeps this project going. Dave Guiri is a retired technology education teacher, golfer, and gamer married to wife Linda with a stepdaughter, son-in-law, and a grandson. He spends way too much time doing things other than gaming. Dave has been playing D&D and Greyhawk since the summer of 1980 and became involved with the role-playing game association's Living Greyhawk campaign in 1999-2000 as Prime Minister of the Regulators, one of the premier gaming groups of LG. He was a Keelan Tryon member from 2005 until the end of the campaign, and a Living Forgotten Realms admin for some time as well. He's the founder and administrator of Greyhawk Reborn, the longest-running 5th edition D&D living campaign. Enjoy the conversation. Thanks for joining me today. Ah, happy to. Looking forward to this, Justin. Alright, so we're going to be talking about Dungeons and Dragons today, a different topic on the podcast. Can you explain the basics of D&D for listeners who might be unfamiliar? Sure, I'd be happy to. In its most essential form, I guess, it's called a tabletop role-playing game. It's most similar, I guess, to what a lot of children do in terms of just role-playing. When they used to play Cowboys and Indians or or other games out there, um, we just kind of take it to another level. You know, instead of playing with G.I. Joe or or other dolls and such, we have our miniatures on our tables and we're assuming specific roles. You get a chance to be somebody else. You get a chance to deal with problems and uh, circumstances that you don't deal with in real life. In essence, you're sitting over a table with a handful of friends and assuming the role of a hero. And you get to do heroic things. Table, while interacting with your characters and with your dungeon master or your game master, often referred to as a DM or GM, if you hear me talking about mm-hmm. that later. Together, you uh, you have a shared storytelling experience. You have some ideas about what your character does and their background and their history and their personality and their trait and their physical characteristics. And your friends that you're sitting there with all have their heroes with their traits and their personalities and their backstories. And your DM has a story that you get to interact with. And between the handful of you and the DM, you get to uh, work together to tell a a story that hopefully everybody is uh, happy with. Right. And we have some guidelines for character creations, but ultimately it's from scratch, right? You have a character's personality, their ideal their motivations, some of their flaws. You can come up with a concept and play what you want to play in this game, in this world, right? Exactly, exactly. Within the confines of the rules, as well as the confines of the Dungeon Master. Plenty of other games out there that are similar. D&D is probably the most famous tabletop role-playing game by by a long shot. Right. And there are certainly other ones out there that are, that are similar, just rules, rule system chains. I mean, D&D is a classic fantasy medieval role-playing game, if you will. There are certainly ones out there that are a bit darker in horror. With, with a horror theme, there's space fantasy and, and science fiction and, and all kinds of stuff out there. Right, and this is playing a role. What might some of the roles be in this universe, in this game? Uh, in this game, they're pretty much set up as, oh, uh, your, your classic fantasy. Uh, fighters, wizards, priests, clerics, rogues, things like that. D&D itself, its player's handbook, describes 12 different classes from bar 
bard and barbarian to cleric, fighter, wizard, warlock, mm-hmm. rogue, ranger. So you have uh, about a dozen or so uh, roles that you can fill there. Most of them fall into things such as spell casting, uh, whether that be arcane and more like a wizard, right. or more priestly or cleric, as well as you know melee. Right. Yeah. So, so you might you might find yourself playing a lot of these different roles, and that people have a lot of different characters. Some personalities might be different. Their abilities might be different. Whereas in outside of game, we might be more confined, and we're not necessarily able to take on some of these roles that we would like. Very much so. Not to mention the the races that you can play. You know, everybody sits and thinks when you. When you hear Dungeons and Dragons, I think most folks that aren't familiar with it will automatically think of Lord of the Rings. Right. And, you know, you do get the chance to play the the dwarf with the axe and and the elf with the bow Mm -hmm. and Aragorn. But there's plenty of other roles to play as well. Right. And and sometimes there can be some other roles besides the, oh, the fighter, the cleric. You you can be an instigator. Maybe you could be a supporter. You, You can be a diplomat, right? These are some other things you can do. Absolutely. Absolutely. And oftentimes one character might, one player character might fill two or three roles within the uh, the group or the party. They're very common, for instance, for the bard to be the face of the party, if you will, to be the person who speaks to most of the other folks, because they generally have some skills in those areas and, and are outgoing and have a high charisma. They also tend to provide some healing and then actually are kind of almost a jack of all trades. They do a little bit of everything well. Mm. So oftentimes one, one PC one character can fill multiple roles in a party. Right, and it's it's a lot of adapting, as I see a lot of parallels between life and D&D, in that there's a lot of chaos, there's a lot of change, there are events that come up, and we have to try to adapt to these things in life and in game, right? Yes, yes, very much so. Even though it's in a fantasy world, there's some similarities with real-world stuff, as you just mentioned, just the, the day-to-day problem-solving that, that you need to do. Um, how do you deal with situations that you are not comfortable with? You know, you, And then how do you deal with situations where you realize that you have a chance to shine so you step forward Mm. there's a lot of good things that can happen and that are that are translatable to the real world right and even creative heroic plans sometimes you you don't have that clear answer maybe there's not a clear answer right but you just maybe do your best and go with the circumstances at hand the biggest things of dnd that i see an advantage of is the problem solving ability and the the collaborative problem solving that needs to occur for your party to successfully overcome the obstacles and complete the objectives that are in front of you, whether it's fighting a bunch of orcs, whether it's disarming traps, whether it's rescuing the princess or saving the kingdom. Right. And some of these roles we might take on, some of these challenges, they can even differ from game to game as different people are sitting around the table, different personalities, we're playing different characters, right? Very much so. Very much so. One person, I myself have a probably getting close to two handfuls of characters in the current <laughs> campaign right. that I'm in. Everybody always fills different roles. Um, I do find that over time, certain people, for the most part, tend to gravitate towards certain types of roles. And I guess I think a lot of it's dependent upon their real life situations, their personalities, and their personal traits. Oftentimes, they're drawn to, it's kind of like a dichotomy of it. Some folks are drawn to, to play characters that are very similar to themselves, to their strengths and weaknesses. Other ones tend to go to the exact opposite uh, of what their personality is and their traits. And I think that's just logical. Some folks are very, very comfortable in their own skin and have a familiarity with it and a comfort level, while others want to go to places that and do things that they can't do. Right. I find that interesting. A lot of options. And maybe people find themselves in novel situations. Oh, I already have these two characters I like to play, and now I just want to play something different. And you learn and maybe adapt and play to that. 
yeah. expand. Yeah. yeah. And talking about taking on roles, you've actually taken on a role as the administrator of this campaign that we played together, Greyhawk Reborn. Can you talk a little bit about that? Uh, sure. To talk a little bit about it, I guess we got to talk about where it came from. And the concept itself goes back to what was called a shared world campaign. For those of you unfamiliar with D&D, which is, I think, some of the folks we're talking to here, mm-hmm. you know, you get together every so often with a group of friends and you have this shared world experience and you sit down for a couple of hours at a table and, and you ha- go through this adventure. Oftentimes, it will be a series of adventures that ramp up in difficulties and such. But generally, you're playing with the same people and the same DM over and over. And oftentimes, these campaigns can take months and years. And they're pretty much played in basements. Mm -hmm. A few years ago, Wizards of the Coast, who is now owned by Hasbro and is the publisher of of Dungeons & Dragons and the owner, created some shared world campaigns, of which one of the most popular was a living Greyhawk campaign. And it was set up very similar to the home campaign, but we literally had over 20,000 people in the world sharing with the campaign. We had dozens, if not hundreds of authors creating adventures that were then able to be distributed to be able to play it at conventions, large and small, and and even basements from the years uh, about 2000 to 2008. And it created such a thriving gaming community that it was just, to me, it was unbelievable. I'd played the D&D for approximately 20 years before that. Mm-hmm. Uh, me and the same general group of friends, there were some, some folks that came in and out. Generally, it was about me and the same two other guys. And life got in the way. You know, families and jobs and time right. and distance often separated us. And what this living campaign created as a shared world with over 20,000 players was an opportunity to not have to rely on one DM or a handful of people. Mm-hmm. So you could take this character that you created and go different places and go to conventions and go to fire halls and, and where and hotels and wherever else mm-hmm. things were being like and it created a tremendous community uh, amongst the gamers I, I met so many people in those eight years that I now consider uh, great friends not just through gaming but as, as great friends I became so much better as a gamer both as a player and as a DM but most importantly as a person and uh, the Living Greyhawk campaign kind of fostered the gaming community coming together when it ended D&D went another way with another type of campaign that for whatever reason that it didn't have as much need to bring gamers together and I kind of felt a vacuum there I felt a void after a few years so I decided to get some like-minded folks together and we decided to create our own little shared world campaign basically to bring some folks together and bring that gaming community together I figure when you're involved in something whatever it is whether it's a gaming community whether it's uh, sports whether it's any type of activities you have the more you can bring like-minded people together the better it is for the activity that you're doing and the community and the people as a whole. So that's really why we started Greyhawk Reborn as a shared world campaign to bring gamers back together, to give them a reason to get together and and do what they do. Right. And it provides a social good, as you're saying, that leisure, that entertainment as people can just take a break and still be intellectually engaged, be pro-social rather than this stereotypical idea of, oh, you're just locked up in your room drinking soda and playing computer games, right? This is a lot different. Absolutely. Absolutely. I've been playing for Oh, we'll be going on 40 years here soon. And, you know, when when I started and a lot of D&D, if you go back to the 1980s, you know, it was a nerd thing. It was a geek thing. And those were the folks playing D&D. They were playing in their basements. They had, you know, what I like to call good bartan. They didn't get outside too much often. (laughs) And there was the sense of these were the loners. But you know what? You're sitting there in that basement. You're interacting with other folks. Mm -hmm. You're 
collaborative problem solving. You're working together to tell a story. There's not much, much higher level activities you can do as a collaborative group working together on those type of goals. And now with the preponderance of people focusing on their cell phones, playing on their computers at home, D&D, as well as other tabletop games, have now become a very valuable social activity. And it is a way, instead of keeping people in their basements, being kind of locked in there with, with that group, of coming together and being a social activity to bring people together. Right. It's it's interesting how in about 30 years it has kind of completely flipped how, uh, how it's perceived. Right. And it's a challenging thing too. It's a collaborative effort where all people are coming together, not just as solo activities. So you get that social interaction with the leisure as well. I just recently retired as an educator and I'm sure this happens in every walk of life anymore. But, you know, the past 15 years, we've gone through various stages of team building activities. Mm -hmm. And I've always thought, you know, they they mostly seem to be useless to anybody but the management the people that are presenting. They don't (laughs) have any real world application absolutely to what we do. And the thing is, with D&D, even though you're dealing with a fantasy world, it's amazing. The ability to work together with others, to brainstorm, to come up with ideas, uh, to overcome this obstacle and whatever challenges are placed in your way. It's amazing how often that type of activity can carry over into the real world workplace. Now, you know, figuring out how to defeat the dragon is far, far different than, you know, how to maximize profits or get our, uh, get our message out there to our audience. <laughs> but nevertheless, the activity itself is still the same and learning how to work and play well with others and how to brainstorm and, and put things together and you know that shared storytelling experience I think is very valuable and I'll tell you what I honestly think a lot of more success would come from those team building activities if they use D&D on occasion or at least those type of uh, the type of traits that are happening and the type of activities that are happening at the table right and you, you get to see the payoff of planning ahead being diligent about things that you're not just coming to the table with some random things that you thought of but you put effort into it you've had some sort of plan and we see the payoff of that yeah you bring that character in that we talked about earlier with those traits and the background and that vision you have in your head of of what it is and what role it fills at the table whether it's a caster or whether it's melee or a healer or whatever and you come into that table with how do how do i fit into the table and how do i fit into this group and every table that comes together is different sometimes you have tables with no healer and so you're fitting into that hole that changes and the real world is much like that. You know, it's as you're working on teams out there for various activities. How do I fit into the whole? How can I make the whole better? And how can we get to our goals that we want? Right. It's a, it's a big theme in stoicism and working with what we have and having an attitude of acceptance and that things aren't always going to be going the way we envision. We're going to lack certain resources, but those aren't necessary. We can still work to get by the being resilient, being able to adapt, being able to try to get yourself out of bad situations and maybe take a different perspective or a different mindset about things. You know, if you're going to go into an adventure and thinking, oh, there's no way we're going to succeed, we're just going to give up. Or even in real life, if you have this attitude that everything is going to fail, it's not going to go well. Right. Yeah, just trying to make life a little better each and every day. And even in D&D, one theme that comes up is uh, the dice, right? You, you have a certain amount of success and failure, and sometimes things just aren't going to go your way with the dice or with certain random elements that happen. And we have to 
adapt to that as well, right? Very much so. Um, I've always thought the dice in D&D are much like people in life. They add the randomness <laughs> to what we do. Right. And, and the dice certainly does that. It's integral to the game. Sometimes your successes are based upon your dice rolls or your failures, case may be. But oftentimes, even just like in real life, good planning, thoughtful contemplation and brainstorming and focus and a willingness to keep working towards whatever goal you have come hell or high water will uh, will solve any failures you have. All right. Within Stoicism, there's this idea of an archer that the archer can prepare, can aim very carefully at a target, but things might happen in between the release of the bow. There might be a gust of wind. There could be some sort of thing that goes in the way that we, we can work toward hitting the target, but we won't always get there. Excellent analogy. That's an excellent, excellent analogy. Right. I, I know there, there have been times at the table where I had this great plan for battle or this impassioned speech that I wanted to give. And then the DM will say, okay, roll, roll the dice. And I roll a very low number. And even though we had this great plan, it just happened not to work for, <laughs> for that reason. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm not sure where the quote comes from, but battle plans are, are only good until combat starts. <laughs> that's, that's paraphrasing it. I'm sure it was said much much better by somebody else, but it's out there. I don't know whether that's in the art of war or somewhere. Another thing from Epictetus, one of the Stoic writers, he, he talks about imitating people who play at dice and that we, we can apply skill and diligence to how the dice fall and adapt then. Like that. I'm sure that there have been situations where, yes, you had that great plan at the tables, but things happened to fail or maybe another person at the table did something that uh, disrupted the plan. And uh, how, do you, how do you tend to adjust to those situations? Yep. I don't know whether it's an actual Marine motto or just something I picked up from a Clint Eastwood movie, but it was the, the improvise, adapt, overcome. You really have to do that in D&D and you really have to do that in life. Right. And even surrounding the game, there are things that happen and maybe people are late for sessions. Certain people don't show up. And I, I know we've had to rearrange schedules before, change venues for conferences. And it, it could seem to be daunting, but the campaign still goes on and we still plan ahead for the future. Yeah. But like anything else in life, you got to be flexible. You got to be willing to work with others to make the best of the situation that you're dealt with, whether it's in D&D or whether it's in life. I, I think every day we make a choice when we get up, what kind of day are we going to have? Mm-hmm. We're going to have a good day or we're going to have a bad day. Tell this this is a story I tell half jokingly but there's there's a kernel of truth to it. Your day is determined by how you look at it. There are teachers, folks I'd meet in the hallway and I would talk to and for walking down the hall, hey, my general greeting was, hey, how you doing today? There's some folks I stopped asking at too. I'd just <laughs> say hello because what would happen, I'd ask them how they're doing today and they'd actually tell me. And the <laughs> issue is that they're just constantly negative. Uh, they've got something negative to say about somebody. They're gossiping or they're they're just, you know, nothing is good. I don't know how you can live your life being that negative. So, you know, some folks, I just quit asking how they're doing. I just I just say hello. Right. And, and themes within stoicism are to take action, to take life in our own hands and try to make improvements for ourselves to make the best of what we have to take a new direction, even if things aren't working, rather than just resigning and being miserable and negative. Absolutely. Uh, this idea, folks that are waiting around for some greater being or spiritualism or something to move them through life and, and provide them with some direction are just wasting time. You've got to grab the bull by the horn 
turns and take life, you know, guide your own life. You, you make it yourself. That, that it's in our power, right? A lot of things that happen outside of us are outside of our control, but what, what can we do that is in our control to tell the difference to actually be able to have that positive mindset? Exactly. Uh, there's many, many things in our lives that are out of our control, but we ultimately, to even those things that are out of, out of our control, we can control how we, we react. Very stoic theme there. And you're listening to the Stoic Philosophy Podcast. I'm here with Dave Guerri talking about Dungeons and Dragons and its applications to life. I have another question here. There's this element of, of gratitude also, I think, that comes up in D&D and that, yes, sometimes the best plans will fail, but we still have a lot going for us, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, you mean that like D&D? Oh, in, in the table, outside of the tables, there just happens to be one negative thing, something about a game or life that we don't like. Perhaps we can take an attitude of gratitude and reflect on the positives that we have. Well, absolutely. You just can't dwell on it, you know, whether it's in life or whether it's in D&D and you roll that one, you know, on a, on a critical save. <laughs> just keep moving forward. And, you know, in D&D, you may roll that one on a critical save. You may be laying on the ground unconscious. And just like in real life, you're counting on your friends to come over and help you. You're counting on your healer to come over and, and provide some life to you so that you can get back up and fight again. And, you know, that's that's what friends are for, both in, in real life and in D&D. Right. It's an interesting thing as the Stoics talk about human nature and natural inclinations that we might have to rely on others, but yet have a moderate attitude toward that, not be wholly propped up by someone else, but rather welcome and encourage the support from others, not be a total loner and not be totally dependent on others either. Right. Yeah. I've always thought that you you have to be able to take care of yourself uh, before you can take care of anybody else. You have to know yourself. You have to know your strengths and weaknesses, and you need, need to be able to live on your own, and you can't rely on anybody else to make you whole. Um, you know, I think it's the same thing in D&D. Now, so much of this we're talking about really keeps coming back to, and I use the word collaborative. So much of it is it's not relying on other people for anything, whether it's your happiness or work or direction or whatever. It's working with others together to get to the goals that, that you have. They may not even share goals, but oftentimes you can work together and you have to walk along the, the road together for a while, moving forward to get where you want to be. And then those roads, you know, the path will diverge at times well. Mm-hmm. That collaboration has to happen between people to make life better for everybody. If our politicians in Washington could forget for a while that they're Democrats or Republicans and just start dealing with the problems of people instead of their party lines, we'd be moving this country forward a lot faster. But a lot of a lot of strife. And it's interesting in, in D&D there are common goals, right? You'll have these adventurers or even these people in real life who've never met each other, but yet you come and you work to a common goal and of course there will be differences here and there but if there's some shared goal we could generally get along pretty well very much so and and you know oftentimes you could have shared goals for entirely different reasons one person may want to rescue that princess to rescue that princess and be a hero somebody else may do it because of the reward that they're going to get you know and then that could be their intrinsic value whether that reward is a magic item or some gold or a piece of land or oftentimes even just the recognition that comes from the for rescuing his daughter. Even though you can have tons of different reasons why somebody is doing something, do something, they can all be working towards the same goal. To go back a little bit, you mentioned about strengths and weaknesses, and it's it's interesting in that one person in the game won't necessarily be able to do everything, but some people are going to be better at some things than others. In life, in game, I, I think that comes with an attitude of humility that's really important. Oh, very much so. I think you need, you need to have some self-depreciation in life. You need to understand 
again, as I mentioned earlier, what you're good at, what you're not good at. And you just need to have some realism, in, you know, in real life. And in D&D, it's no one character, uh, by the very nature of the design of the game, can do everything. It is meant to be a shared, cooperative game. Really, that's one of the things we can take out of it into life. Uh, to, to move on to a different topic here with the game, you, you've taken on the role of the Dungeon Master a lot throughout your D&D career. Can you talk a bit about that, uh, the role of the story? You have your DM and your handful of players around the table who are looking for a shared storytelling experience, and the players generally are very much focused on the story that their character has to tell, the story that they see in the eyes of their mind. Um, and oftentimes, they might share the story with somebody else around the table. It's not unusual for characters to have brothers or dwarves, same clan or something at the table. But overall, they're very focused on themselves for the most part. The DM's job is to provide the overarching story that's there that they're going to be interacting with and to work with those people and their characters to create that shared storytelling experience that gives every character a chance to shine, that gives every character the opportunity to achieve the goal, every player to achieve the goals they have for their character. It can become quite a balancing act, but it's incredibly rewarding when you see that happening and you have a chance to do this over months at a time to work and and you see that character grow. You see it grow stronger. You see a character grow smarter. Mm -hmm. Um, And you see that same thing happening with the player and they start understanding that they can't do everything by themselves. I ran a gaming club at my high school for a number of years and then some of my closest friends, gaming friends, are still part of that. Came from that group and it was interesting. I've been playing for, like I've said, nearly four decades now but being able to DM for those new players and to watch (laughs) 40 years, 30 and 40 years of my playing but to, to watch these guys and girls come into the game new and see the freshness as they experience the game for the first time and all the aspects of it. It's it's incredibly rewarding and it makes you remember why you play it. You just see their eyes lighting up time, you know. Then you hear them talking afterwards and, <laughs> you know, they're talking at the lunch table and they're sharing it with parents and stuff. And it's just neat seeing folks get that experience. Right. So you even get to play the role of an entertainer as the DM? Very much so. What we do is pretty much entertainment if you think about it. Yep. Uh, I've said that for a number of years. It's different than video game and there's obviously that collaborative and that shared sense of it. But really, it's entertainment. I mean, reading a book is entertainment. Going to see a movie or a play is entertainment. Going out with your friends and having dinner and a few drinks is entertainment. It's all in how you choose to, to make your entertainment and fitting it with, with your personality and, and with your uh, with your friends' personalities. But yeah, very much so. We are entertainment. People are giving up, you know, oftentimes, like I said, four hours, hours, once or twice, once a week or twice a month mm-hmm. or whatever the play intervals are. Time is probably our most valuable commodity in our life. In yeah. my opinion, more so than money. And when somebody is giving up a significant amount of free time, four to six hours, come to my house or to to be a part of a shared group where we're doing something. Like this, that, that's pretty important. Now, if somebody's making that type of time commitment to me, that tells you a lot about their intent, about their dedication. Right. And at the same time of entertainment, it, it's not like super easy. You're just going to walk in and get all the rewards and everything if there's an element of challenge. And I think that's an important thing. Oh, I, I agree. Um, you know, it's ultimately, it's a social game. You know, you, you sit around that table for four or five 
five hours and you try to focus on on things but the older I've gotten and, and the more I play with folks it becomes a social game and we are just there entertaining each other oftentimes I've gotten to the point in my gaming career now where if I'm sitting at a table with a player I, I think I also have a responsibility to try to entertain the DM who has taken a lot of time out <laughs> of their life to uh, in our instance write this adventure and create what we're going through you know in our situation folks with Greyhawk Reborn we go to a convention over the weekend. People are paying a significant amount of money to play for the weekend. Uh, they're, they're paying for registration. They're paying for hotel rooms, food. They're giving up their valuable weekend time. They expect to be entertained. And I yeah. think, you know, we need to provide that for them. And then even if I'm sitting there as a player, I want to try to entertain. I want to try to lighten the load on people and just make them smile, make them laugh, make them forget about whatever else is happening in real life. Have a moment where, okay, I'm happy. Yeah, and as I'm you smiling s- and laughing. As you said, there's a great experience of joy that comes throughout these games that people are laughing throughout the sessions after talking about them and that's a, a really nice thing it's not a miserable environment I mean some other games I've played and people just aren't very happy they're burned out but people keep coming back and they have fun any group of uh, D&D players that have played for an extended period of time if you sit them down outside of the table and just sit them down and have dinner or talking with their family stuff they will be able to tell you off, right off the top of their head tons of just entertainment stories, um, little anecdotes, strange things that happen to characters. The one time the character who heard a noise behind them and cast a fireball down the hallway, forgetting it was first, it was second, it was first edition, and the fireball filled up a volume and didn't realize that it was in a ten foot wide hallway and it would just go for like a long, long way and you know severely damaged the rest of their party. Or you know every every group if they played together for a while has those moments. And the longer they played, the more they have them. You know, it's like the teammates that you see what happens out on the baseball field or the football field but the teammates end up sharing more and it's that more personal experience that happens in the uh, in the clubhouses it happens in the practice fields it's not on that three hours of the game that they remember it's the rest of the things in their life that they remember mm-hmm. that is meaning camaraderie that comes and every group that's played just has those moments and the longer the group has been together the longer they can rattle them off and every memory will bring back another one and they'll just sit there and enjoy the moment of recollecting them of, of looking back mm-hmm. and that, that leisure could be an important part of balance in life where some people, they might just be worked the hours a week, have all these other obligations and uh, as I mentioned, burnout there or some people might spend too much time on leisure. So this conference experience enforces moderation in a way in that, well, we're going to a conference every two months or a game day, something it's not an every week commitment. So that can work out for people especially a lot of the adults in the game mostly people who are playing, I think, would be in their mid-40s at these conferences we attend. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, that's one of the advantages of the shared world campaign as as life gets busy and people are working longer hours and families are involved and people's priorities change over life. I mean, when you're when you're in high school and you're in college and you're focusing on your studies and you have lots of other time in your life, you have no other priorities other than that. D&D and any other activity can be much more focused because you get out there, uh, you get jobs, you still have your family at home. You, uh, oftentimes people are working another job. They have other priorities, whether it's other hobbies mm-hmm. that they have to uh, release some stress and such things can can slide and i think the living style campaign is a wonderful way for people to jump in and play when it's convenient opposed to not being able to make that commitment of every week or every other week many many gaming groups i've i've talked to they they start out very young playing in high school or even at middle school junior high uh, and they're playing regularly until they go to college they go to college find another group of folks to play with uh, they get out and they're playing pretty regularly until they're about 30 and then life just gets in the way and they find 
it's difficult to make that commitment. They start being unable to attend a session or two, or they start coming in late, and pretty soon they're not attending at all because they just can't make that regular commitment every week. But they can walk into a, to something like Greyhawk Reborn, play when it's convenient for them, and they don't have to rely on the same five or six people around the table or the same DM all the time. Right. So you could have new people coming into the fold as well as the, the campaign thrives. Some new people come in, some people go out, maybe take breaks. Although I think it can be a bit intimidating for new players. What, what would be some of your thoughts on that? People who've never played D&D before coming into the fold. It certainly can. There there can be a clickishness to it, just like there can be in anything in life, in, in any aspect of life, I guess, any group. I think ultimately people are looking to belong to something. They want to be part of a group. Human beings, I don't think, are solo animals. Um, there's a social aspect to us. Mm-hmm. The key is to find to find the activity in the group that you mesh with. And coming in can be intimidating, but a lot of that depends upon the people at the table, specifically the DMs and, and the groups that you're working with. I really do, uh, I'm proud of our folk, Greyhawk Reborn, and their interest in going out there and recruiting new players and finding new players and being um, being welcoming to new players when they sit down at the table and working with them. Uh, we've done that a number of times and we've had people that have come back time and again because of that. So I think we tend to do a better job than that. For And I think a living campaign needs to do that. It can be very, very difficult if, if you end up being that solo person walking into another group of people who have been playing for five or ten years oh, and have lost a person. So, you know, that's again where that shared world campaign works. And the other thing that happens is with the shared world campaign, you know, you can have a bad experience at the table no matter what you're doing. It could be bad dice rolls. It could be a bad DM. It could be a bad player. You know, it could be somebody sitting there at that table that is trying to forget the ills in their life for a moment and trying to get away from everything, but they still can't separate enough so they create a bad experience. You can go to that next table in another four hours and have an entirely different, tremendous experience. That's one of the nice things about the Living Campaign. There's always another table. It's going to have, you know, a handful of different people sitting around it. It's going to be a brand new story and it's going to have a new DM. Right. So there's an element of novelty that comes with that, which forces you to adapt and can bring about some good or negative consequences. And we could work to roll with the punches there or enjoy the ups and deal with the downs, right? Exactly. Exactly. And you get them all. You get them all in D&D from the natural 20 crits to the the, uh, (laughs) failures on the ones. Right. You're too young for that. I thought I was (laughs) young. The game parallels life in a way in that, well, it, it might be hard getting used to it. There might be a steep learning curve in the beginning, but as we play, we get more familiar, we adapt, we adjust, we learn more. And even today, it's interesting as maybe I've been playing for so many years since high school now, and I'm about 30, and I'm still learning new things in the game. People are giving me suggestions. I see things that other people do in game, and I think I improve with each game I play. And that, that's a wonderful thing rather than thinking, oh, I have all the answers that I'm still learning. Learning. learning comes about in this game so much. Oh, very much so. Very much so. Everybody can teach you something. You just got to be willing to look for it. You know, every day you should look at improving yourself. I played, we're on our fifth iteration of Dungeons and Dragons being the fifth edition. I've played them all. You know, I'm still learning. 5e rules have been out for almost five years now as playtest. It'll mm-hmm. be five years in a couple of months. And there's still things I'm learning that I didn't know in the rules or, or rules that I thought worked one way because this is the way they've always worked before. And it's like, 
I dig into the rule book and I start reading some of the some of the text in there, I realize it doesn't work that way anymore. Right. And then occasionally different elements will be thrown into the game, like new books will come out, new class options. And even though you can think, oh, well, I have everything set, this works. And oh, well, there's this new element. How can I work with this? How could this be good for my character? Could this be an interesting thing for the DM to add to a game? Exactly. So is that yeah, a constant change? Yep. Yep. Thankfully, not as constant as it used to be in other editions. Yeah, yeah. The books are quite, <laughs> quite a lot less frequent. It's a wonderful game. I've spent, like I said, nearly four decades playing. I've been involved at all levels from, you know, first 20 years of basically just playing some D&D with a kind of a core group of folks and some other folks that were let on from, you know, back home where I grew up in Western PA with a great group of folks there to playing some of college and playing with revolving groups of students as a teacher in, in the gaming club and then getting involved in, in Living Greyhawk and ended up being a uh, triad member there, which is an admin for Keelan. I uh, was also involved as an admin administrator for the Living Forgotten Realms in 4E. Right. Until, you know, creating what we have here to try to just adv- be an advocate for gaming. Right. Great. Okay. Anything else that you would like to add, a pitch for people to join the campaign? I'm obviously very biased, but I think <laughs> we have, we, we definitely have the longest running 5E campaign. I think we have the best 5E campaign because we are focused on storytelling. Uh, we realized early on through all of our experiences we were creating this, we talked about what Greyhawk Reborn, uh, what we wanted it to be, and we wanted it to be a shared storytelling experience. Through our other campaigns that, that we've played and, and we've been involved in, we've found many of them just become not much more beyond a board game. You have your miniatures on a grid and you're moving them through and it becomes, you know, the board game itself becomes solving the combat situations. Right. And, and that, there is an aspect to the game that, that is that, and that there's a lot of fun and entertainment to be had in there. But that's not all it should be. There's exploration involved with it. There's the role-playing. There's the shared storytelling experience, and the entertainment value comes with it. But we really wanted to focus on the story. Uh, we felt that there wasn't any other living campaigns doing that. And, you know, if, if you're a storyteller, I think all of our players are, uh, or most of our players, they're looking to tell the story of their character and have it happen within the context of a greater story. And and that's what we're doing. Come out and give it a shot. 5e is a wonderful game to play. There's, just, to me, just a perfect mix of simplicity and complexity to it. That's it, just at the sweet spot between those two. It's, it's a lot of fun. I've met, like I said, I've met so many great people that I now consider friends through sitting down at this game. Come out and give it a shot. Great. And I'll have more information in the show notes. Can you also tell listeners where they can find out about the campaign online? Absolutely. One of our primary resources is our Greyhawk Reborn web, website at Greyhawk reborn.net. We also have on Facebook, we have a Greyhawk Reborn group and a Greyhawk Reborn page. We have a Yahoo group. We have a Twitter and Instagram with it. We're trying to work more with social media. So there's a lot of information out there that you can find. We also will be at a number of events coming up. We actually play primarily in the mid-Atlantic states. We've had games and and have upcoming games planned in Maryland, in Virginia, in D.C., and Pennsylvania, central Pennsylvania, the Gettysburg Harrisburg area, as well as in the Scranton area, um, as well as northern New Jersey. So just in the first quarter of the year, on New Year's Day, we're kicking off the year with a game day in Salisbury, Maryland on the eastern shore. That's 2018. And that's 2018. On Martin Luther King's birthday weekend, we will have, we will be running GHR at Gamers of Winter in Harrisburg, PA. We will be running in Morristown, New Jersey on February 22nd through 25th and we will also be in Frederick, Maryland March 23rd through 25th at an event called 
BFG Con. We're really excited about that. It's the inaugural con right. for them, and, and we're excited about working with them. And then we will also be at our, our one of our, our biggest attended events and two of our Keystone events for the year, Mepicon, Mepicon Spring coming up here in April, late April. Uh, between all of these places, we have over 20 rounds of new adventures premiering. Very good. So we're very excited about 2018. We, uh, we are approaching our, I guess, our sixth anniversary, I guess it would be. We're approaching wow. five complete years of doing this, and uh, we're having a whole lot of fun, and we're going to keep doing it. So come on out and ha- come on out and let us entertain you. Yes. All right. Very good. And that's greyhawkreborn.net. Yep. All right. Any closing thoughts? Anything else you'd like to mention? Uh, Justin, thanks for uh, thanks for having me on. Thank you very much. I'd like to wish you and your listeners a Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays, everybody a happy and healthy 2018. All right. Very good. And see you at the D&D tables. Yep. Won't be long. Won't be long, Justin. <laughs> Visit my website at justinvacula.com where you can find links to my social media portals and see past content on SoundCloud, YouTube, iTunes, or Stitcher. Support my work by becoming a monthly supporter on Patreon or by making a PayPal donation. See the donate tab on my website. Share, comment, like, subscribe, and leave a review. I really appreciate your support and feedback, which helps me grow my audience and keeps this project going. You've been listening to the Stoic Philosophy Podcast, practical wisdom for everyday life. Have a great day and stay tuned for more content.